You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and when I think of some of the things that are most the most important pillars of our community, one of the things that really jumps, jumps to the forefront would be education, uh, especially K-12 through education. You know, the foundation of that really... And we've you've heard us discuss before, we've had Mayor Jacobs on about, you know, if somebody can't, in reading at a third grade level, by the time they're in the third grade, it can be so detrimental. And we know how education impacts poverty and so many things. It can be the difference between having a great success and really struggling to provide for yourself and your family. In our area, Knox County Schools is charged with the education of over 58,000 students. It is one of the largest employers in, the, in, in this area, and it is the third largest school district in Tennessee. So I'm very pleased to have with us Knox County Schools Superintendent John Ryswick. Uh, Superintendent Ryswick is a graduate of the University of Tennessee, so that's a good, good start there. <laughs> and then he has a doctorate in education from ETSU, East Tennessee State. He spent his early career teaching at Bearden High School before moving into administrative rule, roles at the school level and then at the district level. He's, of course, passionate about education and about and to the Knoxville community he calls home. So it's a real privilege to have you with us. Thank you, Dr. Ryswick, for taking time out of your busy schedule. Well, thanks so much for having us. Now, you've been at the job as superintendent for, we were just discussing off air, just over a year. That's correct. How's the experience been? You know, it's been great. I mean, even though it's been my first year in, in this role, you know, I have, have been in, in Knox County for about 20 years uh, or 20 plus years and uh, I've had a lot of my, most of my career here in different roles. So uh, it was it was interesting seeing it from a different view uh, of the superintendency, but still a lot of familiar faces and a lot of, you know, f- familiar with the values in the schools and, and those sorts of things. So uh, that part was great. Does it put, did it, did it kind of rise the level of hot seat you were in? You know, I it I think it did. I mean, obviously, yeah, that's part of it. Uh, but uh, but you know, it, I, I think have been fortunate to be able to work closely with superintendents to to understand it was going to turn up a little bit. So Knox County has, I guess, about ninety schools, almost eight thousand staff members, over fifty eight thousand students. Can you talk about some of the challenges of running such a large district? Sure. You know. Um, I think there's there's kind of the 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 beauty and in, in some I guess would say curse of, of of large district. You know, I think the challenge is always how do you make big feel small? You know, I mean, we want to be welcoming. We want every That's every great word. every student, every teacher, you know, to feel like they're part of something. They're mattered. They see they're seen. Uh, there's a plan for them, and so I think that's kind of the the you know the challenge of how do you make that happen. 
another part that, that's unique to Knox County, most of the time when you get uh, school systems as large as ours in the country, they're, they're kind of very homogeneous. They're typically very urban. Uh, but at that point, you've had a lot of kind of suburban flight and those sorts of things. Uh, we really haven't in Knox County. Knox County very much has a rural population, an urban population, a suburban population. Uh, and, and families, by and large, have, have continued to keep their kids in the public school system. So, you know, we like to think of Knoxville as kind of the largest uh, small town in the state. Um, and I think, I think that's kind of reflected in our school system as well. Yeah, that does sound extremely unique Put it when you put it that way. Do you think the district is too big? Do you think it should be maybe split up geographically? Well, you know, that's a, it's funny you should say that. That's, that is kind of something that we did management-wise right off the first, uh, from, the, from the get-go. So we... Um, you created a new regional did, structure. Created a regional structure, and I think, you know, again, having, having been in the district and seen lots of things and had an understanding of, that, of you know, different, different values in different places and different, uh, you know, people choosing to live in different parts of the community, and, you know, one size doesn't fit all with those answers. So that was part of our reason for thinking about a regional yeah, structure. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about how that regional structure set up, and have you experienced some growing pains with that? Yeah, it's been interesting. So we, you know, again, back to that idea of, of there are very different kind of values, political beliefs, you know, all those kinds of things across those different, uh, those different demographics. So we really looked at, you know, where, where geographically there's a lot of like uh, and similarities. You know, if you, if you choose to live in South Knoxville, usually, you know, there's a reason you've chosen to live there. If you choose to live in Halls, there's a reason you've chosen to live there, you know. And so we looked at at, at areas that were very similar uh, and we broke them kind of down geographically so if you think about the five regions one is a center city region uh, if you think about austin easton fulton's kind of feeder pattern that's the other thing we did too we'd always kind of been high school middle school elementary now we're k-12 so that whole feeder pattern is managed by the same group mm. so we can think about a kid from the time they enter as a pre which makes complete sense well i think that was something we found that was kind of lacking there was you know you, it's easy to get siloed into reading as an elementary problem and graduation is a high school problem if you don't think about a student from you know pre-k until post uh, post graduation so we have the center city uh you can kind of think of the carter community and the south knoxville community as one region uh, then you kind of go north and you grab like kind of gibbs powell halls that area uh and then you move into uh, i'm sorry let me say it, central it's actually like kind of kind of central and and gibbs and halls and then you move a little more northwest where you get kind of carnes powell uh hardin valley and then you've got uh, kind of West Bearden and um, Farragut kind of all in one too. So uh, again, I think if you, you think about uh, kind of commonalities geographically in those areas, I think it kind of makes sense. You know, I'm a South Knoxville boy. You mentioned okay. South Knoxville. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I grew up out off Alcoa <laughs> Highway, went to Doyle High School before okay. the merge, before South yeah. Young and Doyle merge. So you had one well, I guess you, you now you have one hot. I mean, that zip code is huge geographically. It is, it is. the river's kind of a dividing. It's line. kind of a yeah. crazy. It's so large geographically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it took me close to fifteen minutes to drive to high school. Mm. You know, because we lived off Alcoa Highway, and right. I mean, there were parts of the South Camp, Knox County District that I never even went to. You know, yeah. over there on the east side of uh, Chapman Highway. Well, that area is growing so much too. It is, yeah, it really is. In. So that's a, yep, that's interesting. Now you have four priorities, mm-hmm. Doctor Ryswick, that you've identified that you want to address during your tenure: mm-hmm. excellence in foundational skills, particularly early literacy and middle school math. Mm-hmm. Why those two things? Well, I mean, you you kind of alluded to that in your opening. You know, the the I think the the public's pretty understands that kind of third grade reading. You know, and why that's so important. You mentioned. 
you know, up until then, until a student can learn to read, they re- they rely on everyone else for their knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. They, the, the teachers, the parents, the whoever that is, are doing that. Once they learn to read, it opens the whole world up for them. That's where we see exponential growth when students can then uh, can then choose to read and, and process on their own. They're they're now their gainer of knowledge and. Um, after third grade is where we see those gaps for a student who can't read really exponentially grow because everyone kind of kind of leaves the, those kids behind. So so third grade is is really important. And, and, you know, our focus has really been back to prior to third grade. It's what are we doing in that pre Well, yeah, because once you get there. Right. That's right. kind of the that's kind of the last measure you want yeah. if you're not on. And now, middle school math? Middle school math for us, you know, we've worked closely. I know we'll probably get into some of the, the A65 Academy structures that we're doing in high school and rethinking that. You know, we've worked close with the chamber. We look at jobs that are coming. Five of the top ten jobs uh, projected for this region are STEM-related jobs. I mean, science, technology, engineering, or mathematics. So uh, for us, where we have seen historically kind of the we, – we do well in math through kind of fifth grade, and then there's kind of this drop-off in middle school. Um, and then for us, you know, then it goes back to kind of algebra one, if you think about that being a freshman course. And that's kind of the gateway to all the other math and sciences. So if you're struggling – in, in your pre-algebra, which would be kind of those middle school math, you're probably limiting a lot of future careers that are coming mm. to Knox County. So for us, if we can get kids performing proficient high by the time they leave eighth grade, they got a real good chance to be good at Algebra 1, which opens up all the other math and sciences. Now, that's one of the four priorities. Mm-hmm. So excellence in foundational skills and in those two areas, particularly early literacy and middle school math. I want to get into some of these other four priorities uh, that you mentioned. So uh, we're going to get to our first break. When we come back, we'll talk about more of those priorities and get into some of the challenges in the district and what's going on with testing and 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 all those things. So stay with us as we're visiting with Dr. John Reiswick. He is the Knox County School Superintendent. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. We're visiting this morning with Dr. John Reiswick. He is the Knox County School Superintendent. Education at the K-12 through level is just so critical for our area and to lay a foundation so people can be successful. Um, we're talking. We, we were talking about the four priorities, Doctor Ryswick, you identified that you really want to focus on during your tenure. The, we we discussed the first excellence in foundational skills. The second one: provide great educators in every school. Talk to us about attracting and retaining great teachers. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think any organization or any business, it's you know, it's about your people um, and and the quality of the people that you have and, and their ability to do the job. And you know, we're no different when it comes to that. So, um, you know, for us, it, when we talk about great educators, we're really talking about you know, for us, those ninety schools that are out there. There's no way you know we can have hands on those ninety schools every day. You know, they're the the leaders of those schools and the teachers of those schools. They're carrying out. Uh, all the work and they're they're connecting to the kids and to the families we say all the time you know i'm not confused like i'm not knox county schools people's people's experience of knox county schools are the teachers their students have and the principals that see them in the car line every day those are those are things that matter so 
you know, for us, making sure we have uh, well-trained folks who understand uh, what what's best you know, to, to prepare students to be able to be ready for all the career trajectory down the road is extremely important. Uh, it's also equally as important for us to have an administrator or leaders in the building uh, that keep their eye on the ball. And in education, you know, we've kind of become the place for everything from feeding kids to, you know, after school care to all these kinds of things. And, and uh, it's easy to get distracted. So having a, a principal and a leader that knows, you know, these are the right things that take stress off teachers too, to say, you know, these are things we're asking you to do. These are things that aren't yours that we're going to ask the community to help us with. And so it's important to have that. So as far as recruiting and retaining teachers, you know, we do have great teachers. Uh, a lot of people who serve and have the heart to want to do that. Uh, you know, people usually think about pay when we get to that. Uh, that is obviously something we're, we've continued to try to do is, is to be competitive there. Uh, uh, this last budget that was my, my first budget, the last budget we just finished was a 4% raise for certified teachers. And that's um, piggybacking off what Mr. Thomas did the last two years. It's the third year in a row we've been able to get to a 4%. Uh, which is kind of unprecedented for us, uh, and so we want to continue to make that a priority. How how is that received with the current inflationary trends we're seeing? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, from the teacher force, you know, we were they we they were very positive, you know, to see that Good. that that was something that we were looking to do. So, you know, kind of the history of that four percent has been what everyone's tried to get to, and so we might have a year where we would do a four percent, and then the next year's a two percent, you know, and and we try to work back to a four. So to to be able to stack three years in a row at a four percent has been, um, you know, has been kind of unprecedented for us. And our goal is to try to try to maintain that. So, you know, it's our job and in, in our budget now to start looking to say how do we do things that maybe aren't as aren't as cool to free up capital for future years, like pay down debt. I mean, I know that's a you know capital projects and that sort of thing. Uh, so we're using some of our dollars this year to try to do that so that we can continue to put uh, do raises, you know, moving forward. Now, Governor Lee signed the Teacher Paycheck Protection Act. Mm-hmm makes the minimum teacher salary $50,000 by 2026. I guess up till now it's been 35000 was the minimum. That's quite an increase. Mm-hmm. On the surface, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Does that put an uh, – I mean, uh, what type of financial strain does that put on the district? Well, we're – you know, we we're – have been a little higher than that 35 um uh, for our average. We're in the we're in the low 40s or 40, 41-ish range, I think, right now. So uh, back to – you know, I think it, it comes to, to planning. Um, and, and that's kind of what I appreciate our finance team and our budget team. You know, we, to get to that 50,000, part of our goal again was there's a lot you, we've had, we've had additional state funding this year and there's a lot you can do with that just right off the bat. But if you don't plan for the future with that, then I think you kind of miss the, the mark. So part of what we did with that again was to say, if we can stay consistent on a 4% over multiple years, we can get to that 50,000, but we can do it slowly, kind of slow boil over time, as opposed to, you know, you put a bunch of money up front in it and then you're struggling every year to make that or you don't have commitments for textbooks or those kinds of things. So uh, our finance team built a plan to do that. Well, we, we should be able to get to that 50000 Yeah, I mean, that's a big increase. It is. Right? It is. With, well, I guess, four years to get there, really three right. and a half years to get there, right? Right. right. So um, I know the district has challenges when with hiring. Mm-hmm. So what measures are you taking to make working for the district more attractive? That's a great question. So, you know, I think we realized about two years ago, um, you know, the days of kind of kind of how the teacher recruitment had worked in the past. You know, you kind of draw a circle around Knoxville of all the universities that produce teachers and colleges, and then you send out your folks with pencils and 
and swag bags, right? And then you try to out-recruit everyone else. Uh, well, interesting trend has kind of happened nationally is that the, those uh, education, uh, those universities are not producing the same number of teachers anymore. So uh, it's even more competitive for that. As, as we dig down and look at things, you start realizing that it's not the pencil and swag bag that's getting people. It's typically they, you know, they want to work within a certain geographical area of either the school they're graduating from, or they want to return home to go be a teacher wherever home is for them. So, uh, it's, it's not about just, you know, signing bonuses, all those things have been tried in the past. So our approach has been different. Um, last year we, we created a new, uh, an additional, uh, part, well, not really additional part, but we, we broke off and made a talent acquisition, uh, department in our human resources. So instead of just, you know, processing through again, regular way of doing that, we actually think there are other ways to get alternative folks into the classroom that maybe, uh, maybe they're, they're high school students who have an aptitude to want to teach and we're going to help track them through school, bring them in as tutors, do that kind of thing and kind of grow our own future teaching force. Uh, we have teaching assistants and educational assistants in our schools that maybe don't have a four year degree. We have a program called grow your own to try to grow them into teachers. So they're already there. They've shown the aptitude. We know what, what they can do with students. Uh, and, and that matters a lot, but we think there's actually another level we can go with that. We think that, that the workforce probably already lives in Knoxville. Maybe they're somebody who had a decent job when they graduated and, and stayed in something like medical billing, but they've really always had a heart to want to teach. And we're trying to make those connections back with universities to get them on a pathway so that anyone has a, a, a path to the classroom. So um, I think that's how we'll get our kind of non-traditional force will help us in the long run. Yeah, it's so important to have great people. Seems like there's a lot of infrastructure needed. You mentioned it's the teachers that are engaging with the students and the and and the parents. Uh, but you, you know, if you look at you as superintendent and then work your way down into the principals of the schools and even down, there's a tremendous amount of infrastructure there. So it's not just hiring. When we say great educators, that's not just teachers. That's administrators, right? I mean, you've got to have great people all the way down. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Um, now we talked earlier about the foundational skills. We talked about early literacy and then middle school math. Now for as far as the high schools for the 2022-23 school year, the 865 academies were added to eight high schools. So tell our listeners about the academies. What are they? How they'll impact high school students and and, and prepare them for a career of college readiness. That's a great either career or college really so you know we kind of looked at um again over the last couple of years and i think you know that kind of ties into our third priority which is that college empowerment college empowerment excuse me career empowerment and college preparation career empowerment preparation which is really thinking about what is the end, end game for our organization if we're successful how do we measure that long term and you know we're we're what are we uniquely positioned to do well we're kind of the only game in town when it comes to getting students ready for their careers when they're done and, and if they have those gaps that's kind of back on us you know the church isn't doing that the fire department's not doing that you know that's kind of the school system so uh we really looked at that a couple about two years ago and started saying well are, are our high schools the last piece of that uh, are they really preparing kids for that next step and and it was beyond just for a long time, graduation was the metric, you know, and, and did kids walk across the stage and did they earn the state diploma? And for us, we realized that's not enough because if a kid comes back from college and, th- and during Thanksgiving break, you know, we kind of failed. If they weren't ready, if they didn't stay, if a kid, you know, 
job hops from the time they graduate in that first year and you know they're back working in a job that they're probably underemployed that doesn't work either so you know we kind of raised the stakes a few years ago to say we want to know that they're they're ready and successful in that next step and we've kind of made three things with that we said a student can enlist totally fine if the military and a career is, is there for them they can enroll in a post-secondary institution or college uh, or they can be employed but we want to make sure it's a high demand high wage job that they can actually you know, raise a family stay in knoxville and be productive so for us, it was, well, what are we doing backward planning for the high schools? And, and out of that came the 865 Academies. 865, obviously, because that's our area code. Um, but it was really a way for us to receive businesses in. What we saw, that was the missing factor. We were kind of, you know, we were our own school system, but there weren't, there weren't uh, natural bridges for local businesses to come in, be guest speakers, provide field trips, provide externships, which let teachers go out in the workforce and get a feel of why will I need to know this. Uh, and so kind of a six, five was, was birthed out of that, um, and trying to redesign how we do high schools so that we can make sure we have business partners in there and that we're being very intentional about pathways for students on how they become what they need to, instead of just kind of a, a, a hodgepodge of classes they take to meet graduation requirements. They actually have true experiences where they're saying, you know, I want to do this or I don't want to do this when I graduate. Um, we feel like that's part of our job. Yeah, I think that's fantastic what I'm hearing there. And then the fourth uh, priority, success for every student, which kind of, you know, every th- I think those three lead to the fourth, right? Mm-hmm. So they talk do. about success for every student. How do you define success? You kind of did in that last, but how would you define success, Dr. Ryswick? You know, I, I think there's so many pieces to that to that success. You know, I think ultimately, you know, I think we look back and go, as I said before, it's our job to prepare the next generation. And if we, if they're not ready, if, if there's not, you know, if there's not enough of a workforce for the jobs that are coming, and Knoxville's growing, as you know, like crazy, and companies are coming here all the time. And, and you know, we want to be the, one of the reasons they're coming here. One, for the, for the employees' families to have success, but then also that they say, well, there's a, there's a great workforce here of educated, of educated people. So I think that one's really important. And I think along the way we have a lot of little kind of metrics that, you know, third grade reading being one. We talked about algebra being one. Uh, we want to be a place that, that is, a, you know, we're probably going to launch a campaign soon this year called Teach Knox. How to, you know, we want this to be a prime place where teachers and educators, and we said before, administrators want to come to Knoxville, and there's a clear path on how you can become part of the team. Uh, and we've had a lot of people interested in that. So I think there are a lot of things that look, at, look along the way. But for us, I would say two things. One is that are they ready when they leave uh, us to go do one of the three E's we talked about? Right. And then two, uh, I would say, is that for every student, right? That's a big thing for us, too. It's not just for, uh, you know, for certain kids who live in certain neighborhoods. It's for every student. And so we've put a lot of work into that around our success for every student. We, we know, uh, especially in our urban core, that there are, you know, a, a larger percent of deficits. So uh, we spent, we actually just launched uh, what we got, Region 5, which is Austin, Easton, Fulton, uh, their feeder patterns. Uh, we are uh, a five-year strategic plan just for those two feeder patterns to bring in advanced academics, to bring in uh, partnerships for employment, uh, and to really make sure that we're holding those schools and those feeder patterns with the opportunities uh, and the rigor um, that they need so that they can those students can succeed from everywhere. That's important for us. We're privileged to have Knox County School Superintendent Dr. John Ryswick with us in studio, and we're hearing a lot of great things of what's being implemented and everything going on at the school district level. Uh, When we come back from our next break, we're going to talk about the impact of COVID 
and the importance of standardized testing and is it underemphasized, overemphasized? I want to get into some of those questions. How do we measure uh, student success as they continue to progress from the K through 12 level? We'll also have our dollars and cents segment and talk about important milestones based on age once you hit 50 years old that you need to be prepared for and aware of to take advantage of opportunities in your financial plan. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. Education from the K-12 through level especially is so critically important in our community. So we've, it's our privilege to have Dr. John Reiswick with us in studio. He's the superintendent of Knox County Schools. Uh, we're going to get back to, to Dr. Reiswick in just a moment. But first, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. As you continue on your financial journey, age 50 is actually a very important age to start being aware of certain birthday milestones. And if you, I mean, if you think back, you know, since you began your career, you've con- hopefully contributed to a pension, a 401k, other em- or, or other employer-sponsored retirement account, or opened up an IRA or investing account. Maybe you've done savings. Maybe you've done brokerage accounts, CDs, and of course, Social Security has been a big part of your income taxes because of your payroll tax withholding from your paycheck. But as you start to age and transition into your 50s and then even on up into your 60s, what comes next? There are very important birthdays to be aware of. 50 is one of those. Age 50 is when you can start adding more money to your 401k or other company plan. You know, if you're 50 or up by the end of this year, you can now put in $30,000 up to 30000 of your own money. Uh, into a 401k type plan or 403b or other plan that is quite a bit of money and and there's no question that retirement accounts are the best way to accumulate wealth because of the tax advantages that they provide Um, now there's also restrictions you have to be aware of but the bottom line is that's a huge opportunity once you get into your 50s those are typically our highest earning years Uh, 55 is an opportunity you need to be aware of. If you leave your employer after you're 55, you have early access to your to your company plan where you where you left, uh, even though you're not 59 and a half yet. Uh, 59 and a half is an important age where you don't have any penalties to access money in your retirement accounts. 62 is an important age because that's the earliest that you can draw Social Security benefits. 
Then, of course, your full retirement age would be sixty-six or six, between 66 and 67, depending on when you were born. I will back up. 65 is when we claim Medicare, typically. And we need to be aware of all those rules. You know, Part A is free. Um, if you're still covered under your company plan, though, you need to be aware that if you enroll in Part A and you don't have to, it makes you ineligible for contributing to, an, to a health savings account once you enroll in, in Medicare Part A. So there's just a lot of things as you age that are so important to understand these rules. Of course, 70 is the age at which you stop getting increases in delayed retirement credits from Social Security. So you definitely don't want to wait past 70 to draw your Social Security benefit. And then, of course, 73 or 75, depending on when you were born, is when you have to start taking taxable distributions from your retirement accounts. So there are a lot of ages that you really need to be aware of and how something like Social Security strategy could affect your income taxes or even your Medicare premium. All of those things are so important. I have published a guide. It is a guide to milestone birthdays at age 50. And you can download that guide. It's complimentary. You can go to our website, broganfinancial.com, click on resources, and you can download that complimentary guide, again, on milestone birthdays that you should be aware of to take advantage of opportunities. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Check us out online, BroganFinancial.com. We've published a, a lot of information so you can stay informed and make prudent decisions to impact the quality of your life as you age and as you move through your financial journey and your life plan uh, at a larger level. Uh, you see at our resources tab, we've got lots of guides. We've also got a blog. You can follow our, our e-newsletter that comes out every week with great tips. My upcoming classes that I hold through the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College will start back in late August. You can get that full schedule, broganfinancial.com, and click on classes. This morning we're visiting, speaking of education... <laughs> We're visiting with Dr. John Reiswick. He's the Knox County School Superintendent. We're appreciative for him taking time out of, I'm sure, what is a very busy schedule. Standardized testing, Dr. Reiswick, is a measurement that's so used for student achievement. It's not the only way to determine if a student is learning. So what are the challenges of using test testing as a determination of student success? That's a great question. I think uh question has probably been asked for many years. Um, so I will start by just telling a little bit of history. So, um, you know, the standardized tests that we give that the state of Tennessee gives are required by the federal government uh, to be done. So every state has to submit their kind of their testing package and, and there are requirements within that federal of, of what grades have to be tested and that sort of thing. So uh, so that's really kind of the, the where that comes from is actually federal so that they have a, you know, the ability to kind of see how, how everyone's doing. Now, within that, every state's got its own standards, you know, that they test to. So that's why there's a little wiggle room for uh, not for for assessing. They have to do that, but what they assess and what the standards are. And Tennessee has very rigorous, about 10 years ago, uh, very rigorous standards. They are some of the best in the nation as far as that goes. So um, so I think that matters a lot. There's just there's a lot to unpack just with testing in and of itself. I think, you know, there are some myths out there about that, that if a student – 
you know, like we take third grade, we've talked about that. So if a, if a student is not proficient in third grade, then that must mean they can't read. And I can remember, you know, a long time ago going and visit, visiting uh, third grade classrooms where uh, kids were reading poetry and stuff. And I'm thinking, I knew the proficiency of that school. And I thought, well, this is, this is inaccurate. You know, they, they obviously can read just that the state of Tennessee has extremely high proficiency standards. So to be proficient in Tennessee makes it, it matters. Uh, and, and we applaud the fact that they have a high bar, uh, but it's also important for the general public to understand just because a student's not proficient, it doesn't mean that they're, uh, you know, that they're, they're um, in terrible trouble. They need intervention to be able to get up to that level, but it also isn't a, you know, kind of a, a seal of fate for them. So there's been some concern over this newly implemented third grade retention law. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about for our listeners, what is that law and are there some misconceptions about it? Yeah, I, I think the same way that it's new. Uh, and I think that anytime something's new, there's a lot of, a lot of information that, that's out there. So uh, it's been a year ago that the state legislators passed this and, and it's, it's pretty bold move. Uh, it was really saying if a student is not proficient in their third grade, their, their ELA or English language arts portion of their third grade test, uh, that they would be retained. And then there was like this unless, right? So then there's kind of these required interventions that would happen for a student. So if a third grader takes their, their TCAP, their formal assessment, uh, and then their English score is not proficient, then they would have um, a couple choices. So one would be uh, the state's funded summer camps, which is a great intervention where students go pretty much the month of June. We're in the middle of those right now in Knox County. Uh, we did those last year as well. Uh, and so that it's really to focus on those kind of deficiencies and skills uh, for the students to, to show progress in that. If they do that and show progress uh, during that month of June, then they would be promoted onto the fourth grade. Uh, or there's also tutoring, which is high, uh, high dosage, low ratio. So it's like a one to three, a tutor to students to try to help again with those same gaps. And that would actually happen during their fourth grade year. They would have that tutor assigned to them throughout the year. Uh, with a certain am- amount of time per week they would get and those sorts of things. So not to complicate it even more, but uh, which intervention happens for a third grader depends on where a student scores out. So in that state test, there's a category called below, and that's the lowest that a student could score, a range. And then there's one called approaching, which is between below and proficiency. Uh, and then there are two levels in proficiency. One, you're, 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 you've mastered, and one, actually, you've advanced and scored above that. So if you're a student who's in that approaching, a family gets a choice to either go to summer to summer camps or to take a tutor. But if you're in below, you actually have to have both. So it is, it is good that the interventions are there and the funding for the interventions are there. I think uh, what hit people hard was kind of this, you know, it's a, it's a pretty uh, pretty strict penalty if your student's not, not proficient in third grade that you've got to face that. Is that... You know, we talked about or is testing how efficient is that at measuring success. I mean, some kids have bad days. Some kids get a lot of anxiety around a test. I mean, if you have a single test at a single moment in time determining whether somebody can go on to the fourth grade, is that reasonable? Yeah, I I mean, I would say on a personal level, no. I I don't think it is. And I would think, you know, in in Knox County, that was kind of our pushback, our board. Well, and I realize this is what the legislators did. Right. Um, So I I would say, yeah, I I would think most probably reasonable people think there should be some other measures taken into. You should look at a body of evidence, not just kind of one piece. And and we feel the same way. Our board had a resolution to the state, you know, kind of saying the same thing. And and we, we saw a little movement in the legislators this year. Um, their their um, addendum to the law was to say there is a, there's a, um, 
three times a year we do a universal screener for students to kind of see where they are in their reading abilities. So they changed the law for not for this year, but for next year, that if a student's scoring in the top 51% uh, on that um, universal screener, then that also will, will count. But that wasn't in place for this year. Uh, and it still will leave, you know, kids, it's still another test, right? So yeah. <laughs> test a little different and, it, and it's multiple times. Because some year. kids, it's real that, that have a it hard is. time, they have a lot of anxiety with testing. Very true. Right. Or could be having a really bad, you know, something could be happening in their home life with their parents that we don't know about right. that affects their ability to take a test on a given day. Right. Yeah, so hopefully the legislators will maybe look at a, it seems to me anyway, I'm not an educator, but hopefully look at a little bit bigger body of work there, that, yeah. that the test is part of that. We would be for that too, and, and uh, I think, you know, the other part of that that, that you know, said people have asked before, if you were king for the day, what would you have done? And, and, I, and I think, I do applaud one that the state's taking it serious. Um, I do think the methodology is is could be better um i also think you know they've brought funds with it now i i would like to have seen kind of a longer runway of the funding of the intervention for three or four years to see if that really limits the number of kids who would need this i think we could probably have closed that's that a great word i uh, think that's a great word but we'll see now let's talk about tennessee and knox county in terms of measurement and and where we stack up before we get too into that though covid mm-hmm I mean, I think COVID is going to be looked at back at, at on a national level as one of the greatest educational tragedies that's ever happened in the United States. Um, you don't have to comment on that comment, by the way. <laughs> but who was most impacted? Where do you see some issues with specific grade levels and learning environments that were less successful during those school years? And what are we seeing now that's been impacted? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think I'll say a couple things about that. One, I think that what, what happened during that, I still remember, uh, you know, the governor's announcement and then being on a long, a long uh, video conference the rest of the afternoon about what we were going to do uh, through all that. So I, I think, I think it was definitely disruptive. I think that, I mean, and everyone's lives, and especially in education, it didn't, it didn't spare students either. Um, I do think that um, part of, you know, we've talked about the four priorities, part of us naming those priorities was really trying to get back to naming what the work of a school system is. You know, I think for a long time, it's kind of all hands on deck everywhere in society. And, and now that we're kind of on the backside of some of this, it was trying to define that. So we had to really get to where we could define that to know what it was we were going to put our resource and money and time into. So, um, so what we've seen is, yeah, students were impacted uh, pretty severely just because it was, it was inconsistent. I mean, the, our teachers did a great job switching over to virtual and some kids have continued to do virtual, you know, out of that, we birthed the virtual school uh, and students still choose to be in that. So for some that was beneficial, but not for the majority. Are, are you seeing, I mean, it, it's a couple of years later, how much impact are you seeing with things like growth in scores and, edu- and, and all those things? Uh, credit to our teachers and, and to our administrators out there, you know, the numbers and every, our kind of our data right now is embargo, but our, our numbers that we're seeing right now, even off last year, we're back to about where we were pre pandemic. Really? What we're seeing right now in some of these early numbers, especially you know, the only number we have that's not embargoed right now is our third grade data because of the uh, you know, for the the impact of the law we just talked about, uh, and we've actually seen a about a four percent gain in third grade reading this year, um, and which which would put us right up with the highest we've ever been in proficiency. So um, I think 
I, I think there's a there's a causality to that, right? So I think the out of the ashes, right, of what COVID was, I think we saw a reengagement of families back in education, hmm. which was a good thing because you know virtual teachers on my on my kids' device, and you know I'm interacting or seeing them, and, and there's this new kind of involvement in that. We've seen that in, in even like special education, kind of this. Uh, this new movement for what services my students can have. So we've seen this kind of re-engagement, I think, which has been good. The virtual world has blown up. I can remember, again, the day the governor you know, closed schools and closed everything down, us being worried about we didn't have – we weren't a one-to-one district. We didn't have – every kid didn't have a device. We, we lifted that in a few short months. And then there was the what about the early grades. Kids will never be able to use it. When I go visit classrooms, I was able to get into about 75 schools this year and, and you know, like walk the halls, be in there with the principals – and even our kindergarten and excuse me, even our first grade classes walked into those classes where they're logging into a canvas page to get their assignment. So even within the regular school day, kids are just using it as part of what they do. So, so there have been some good things out of it um, that I think are helping us now propel forward the summer camps, the tutoring. There was no level of this kind of sophisticated tutoring that was specific to is kind of, you know, people offered after school hours, but this is very, we know your deficit and, and the time is very much spent on trying to close that. Well, that's encouraging. Maybe uh, maybe my statement was a little too dramatic there about the long-term impact of, of how it affected our education. That's, encur- though, that's very encouraging signs. When we come back, we're going to talk about where Tennessee is and where East Tennessee is in Knox County Schools, specifically in measurements. We're visiting, as you're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, we'll have more with Dr. John Ryswick. He's the Knox County School Superintendent. When we come back, so please stay tuned. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. We're visiting with Dr. John Ryswick. He is the Knox County Superintendent of Schools. I do want to mention, over at Brogan Financial, we are proud to be involved in collecting donated school supplies for our Knox County schools and teachers from now until the end of July. You know, a lot of times teachers buy supplies on their own. So we want to help provide and donate those supplies. Uh, We collect them and deliver them to an organization that distributes them to our educators in Knox County local schools. So that's us getting involved in our community-sponsored Brogan Financial Team. We have a charity team. Anyone in our community that would like to contribute, you can come to our office and drop off your donations during our business hours at Brogan Financial. We're right across from the Sam's Gas Pumps in West Knoxville, off of Walker Springs Lane in the uh, Onyx Point. We're on the ground floor there in that first tower, right across from the gas pumps at Sam's. You can drop off school supplies that we will then donate to Knox County Schools, and this is the second year we're doing that, and we love to do that to help our educators. Um, Let's talk about kind of where Tennessee is. Tennessee's ranked 40th in education nationally. Knox County Schools received in 2022 by the Tennessee Department of Education received a in need of improvement. Why do you think that Tennessee has struggled to move up in achievement rankings? 
That's a good question. I think overall as a state, um, I think uh, we I think we saw a lot of movement at the end of Bredesen's uh, Governor Bredesen's uh, time, and then and I think Governor Haslam you know, made huge strides there during that time to really kind of up the up the ante for the state, really looking at national scores and those kinds of things. And I think that's when we saw the majority of our of our jump. Uh, and looking at those things, and Governor Lee, you know, has continued with that too. So I think it's been something that's there. I think if you look at the state across other, uh, in comparison, I think probably funding levels haven't been the same in, in Tennessee as they are, you know, uh, which you know is is a uh, is is one reason people move to Tennessee, right? Lower taxes, those kinds of things. So it's kind of a it kind of plays off back and forth. I think um, I think that's a factor there. I think too. I mean, you you look at some of the states that are probably around that uh, where. Um, They've probably been, you know, historically a little less industrialized. Of course, all that stuff has changed now, so I think we're seeing that. Um, but I think because of that work and, and the movement that Tennessee's made even into 40th and, and that kind of range, we're starting to see, you know, the population explosion in Nashville and, and moving into Knoxville now too. So um, I think w- people will just continue to demand more and more, and that will continue to rise. Dr. John Riswick, superintendent of Knox County Schools. I hate that we're out of time. I had like five more talking points <laughs> I wanted to go through. But thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. This has been a great hour. Really gives gets us informed of what there's really a lot of great things going on with Knox County education. We have, we have great folks and appreciate you having us. Today. Absolutely. So that's Dr. John Riswick. We certainly appreciate his service. I uh, hear great vision and wisdom in, in a lot of the things we're pursuing with Knox County Schools. So we certainly want to support that um, and continue to grow and evolve. Today we've talked about education because greater education provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Speaking of education, I have my upcoming adult education classes through the University of Tennessee in Pellissippi State. Starting in August, you can go to my website, broganfinancial.com, and click on classes. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Riley for running the book for engineering, and thank you for to Jill for producing. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.